0: From the Allen Media Worldwide Headquarters Studios, high atop two Turtle Creek, and brought to you by the MZ Studios Dallas, this is Deconstructing Dallas. Greetings everyone, this is Ryan Trimble, co-host here, fashionably lounging uh, in person here at the office with a man who tells me, always be selling, he of course, Sean P.
1: Williams. Sean, good day, sir. Good day. It's good that we're not dressed exactly alike today, like we were on Monday when we showed up at Rusty Taco and had That's on literally right. the same outfit down to the shoes. That's right. I like to call it the Uptown uh,
0: <laughs> Private Equity uniform. It was yes, blue shoe, a yes. blue shirt, button down, uh, brown uh, brown shoes,
1: brown belt. I mean, we were on it. I felt like if I wore khakis today, I might be able to, you know have my own identity, (laughs) at least. Well, you look great. Well, it's quiet around Allen Media here. We've had some days here where it's been at least probably half back to normal with people in the office. Of course, Carol, our office manager, is here every day. But um, it's just us here today, and we've got a really cool topic, and we might as well just jump in and talk about it.
0: Yeah, it may be quiet at the office, but it has not been quiet uh, for our guest today. Uh, He, of course, one of the co-authors of the book, Forget the Alamo,
1: Uh, he's Jason Stanford. You know, I and I'll I'll talk about, you know, I've obviously read the book and have some pretty strong feelings about it. But what is the most was the most interesting to me in preparation for today is that the date, the publication date on the book is June 8th. I mean, we're not even two months out. And they have become part of the conversation here in Texas around Texas history and how to preserve history and how to, you know, promote history, how to teach history. And, you know, this book has had a humongous impact in the state and it's making its way even out into the national scene uh, just over less than two months.
0: Yeah, it, it's interesting. Obviously, um, you know, history is something that I know both of us uh value in texas history especially um you of course a native texan a seventh generation
1: texan i, I, I want to say seven yeah i want a seven generation there's been six generations born here and there's one the first obviously was brought here to texas so seven generations
0: yeah so very interesting i of course from new mexico uh, probably at some point was part of texas i guess I, they could probably lay, probably lay so. a claim to it at some yeah. point but um uh you know here I am in Texas proper as it is <laughs> drawn today, and uh you know Sean I, I mean I've been to Texas Independence Day at the Sam Houston gravesite. I've crawled through the 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 cemetery there um, it, it been in the basement there's a good good man Mac Woodward who's who was the curator of the Sam Houston Museum and uh, you know it, he'd go in the basement, he pulled out a letter that was. Sam you know, a letter from Andrew Jackson to Sam Houston. Um, maybe we can send him some more money for you know for something to preserve the, these letters a little better, but um, you know so, some amazing historical wherever you are on on any of these issues, you know there's some amazing historical uh, uh, notes and, and and a pretty wild story that happened here in Texas.
1: Yeah, I, I'm really interested to talk to Jason Stanford. He wrote this book with Brian Burrow and Chris Tomlinson. I believe Chris is a graduate of Skyline here in Dallas. I believe uh, one of my friends told me. And, you know, the I went through seventh grade history here in Texas. I remember it very well. And, you know, I thought I had all of this down. I've been to the Alamo. I've been to the Capitol. Uh, I'm a proud Texan, just like so many people. Uh, but reading this book and just seeing other parts of this story, uh, number one, uh, there were times I was upset. There were times I was just kind of shrugged my shoulders. But more than anything, it made me want to get back into my own family history, my own research. You know, our our family on my dad's side uh, was brought to Texas in the 1840s. Um, I have an ancestor Jack Williams, who was born in in what is now Lamar County in 1847. And so his parents were here. uh, So that makes that's where the seventh generation come from. On my mother's side, my great great grandfather, Jack Woodard, moved here from Tennessee in 1870. So I, I usually focused on that part of the history and we can go to Fannin County and see his gravestone. Uh, he's buried right there between his two wives, which is an interesting piece <laughs> of family there's history. history there. Very interesting right. piece of family history. But uh, that's the thing for me personally, is it, it really engaged me and wanted to go back and look at at our family history, because this is all Texas history. That's kind of my takeaway is, you know, there's not this one view of what happened and what, what it is. It's, it's, we're all part of it.
0: Yeah, and, and I wanted to thank you again, Sean. You know, you, you had a leadership role in, in getting the African-American History Monument uh, you know, up on the Capitol grounds. Uh, and, and I got to, you know, sur- surf your wave, I'll say, uh, for that event. That was an amazing piece. But it, it's interesting, you know, in our last uh, uh, episode, we talked about w- – or with, with Speaker Strauss – you talk, We talked about his history and his family history, and you shared your family history. And uh, you know, my our, our good friend Robert Thedford at the Conservative Roundtable of Texas said, "I, I thought that was so interesting." You know, t- two white guys talking about uh, you know a black Texan's history is about as appropriate <laughs> as it can be for this episode, Sean. But uh, you know, Robert thought that was a, that was a really unique piece and, and something that was was definitely worth sharing, and, and perhaps is not. Uh, part of the story that, that's told. So um, I'm excited to get into this
1: episode with Jason and uh, uh, hear about the book. I, I'm also excited because, you know, one of the things I learned a lot more about was the Tejano contribution uh, to Texas, to, to the Alamo and to Texas history and early Texas history. So I, I'd like to talk to to Jason about that. And, you know, I'm super interested in seeing where this goes and again you know i've got a upcoming seventh grader to worry about as well so uh how about we uh, we just jump into it let's do it all right well when we come back we'll talk to jason stanford co-author of forget the alamo this is sean williams ryan trimble on deconstructing dallas and we'll be right back right after this
0: Deconstructing Dallas, Ryan Trimble, Sean Williams. Sean, big show today. We are big show. Let me preface it by saying uh, one of my most loyal, best sources of information that, of course, Lauren Trimble, my blushing bride, informed me that the book Forget the Alamo is on a 26-week wait here in Dallas at the Dallas Public Library. She is 39th in line. I will probably... (laughs) Uh, give her my audiobook copy um, whenever she, she is ready to jump in. But uh, what, a, what, a, what a splash this book has made. We are, of course, joined today by one of the co-authors of Forget the Alamo. He, of course, Jason Stanford. Jason, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah. Now, um, you know, for, for those of us, uh, for those our listeners who, who aren't familiar with you, can you share a little bit about yourself and your background?
2: Sure. Uh I've been writing for a while here in Austin. Uh about 10 years ago I wrote a co-wrote a book with Jim Moore called Adiós Mofo How, why Rick Perry will make America miss George W Bush. I like its subject matter was a was a colossal failure. <laughs> but uh uh for a long time before that I was a political consultant. Got bored of that, went to DC to work for Planned Parenthood, came home to Austin to work for uh the mayor Steve Adler. And now I am running communications for the Austin Independent School District.
1: Well, Jason, there are a lot of folks like me that found out about your book after the event that was canceled in Austin at the Bullock Museum a few weeks yep. ago. And I'm not really interested in the cancellation as much as I am about what that has meant for your book and how it's affected the audience for your book.
2: Sure. It, it is very clear that had... Uh, the lieutenant governor not uh, ordered the Bullock Museum to cancel as uh, co hosts of the event. It was just a virtual book event for about 300 people uh, that most people who know about the book never would have heard about Forget the Alamo. It caused huge controversy. It, it made headlines in languages I don't recognize. Yeah. And, and more importantly, to the success of the book, People bought it. It sold out of Amazon twice in one week and uh, it made the New York Times bestseller list. There are literally thousands of people who've read the book who never would have even heard about it had Dan Patrick not forced the bullock to pull the rug out from under us.
0: Well, you know, Jason, I'm interested to hear uh, how you, Brian, and Chris came together and decided to write the book together. I I don't see a lot of books with three authors. So maybe share a little hmm. bit about how you came together and then what did each of you bring to the project?
2: Sure. Uh, yeah, it's, a it's, it's just a complete accident. We have a informal club of writers in Austin and that, that Chris and Brian and I started just a reason to get a whole bunch of introverts together in a room once a month. And, uh, we are having brunch together to try to figure out how to reinvigorate it because it was off to a little bit of a, a shy start, shall we say? And, uh, we are just eating eggs and Chris told us about a column he was writing. He's a business columnist for the Houston Chronicle and San Antonio paper criticizing plans to uh, spend half a billion dollars to redevelop the Alamo and build a big museum based on this myth. And Brian who's born and raised in Texas said, what myth and Brian Burrow, you know, he's written three New York times bestsellers. He's no, no naive, but he like most Texans had never really questioned what he was taught in 7th grade history and he uh, unlike most texans is really smart about what makes a saleable book and he realized pretty instantly what a uh, what a how easy it would be to just sell the book to a publisher to sell you know, to get them to pay you to write it um, because there's obviously an audience for this and this is a big thing that quote unquote no one really knows even though it's pretty widely known among historians and academics and not to mention uh, the Hispanic community in Texas. But the uh, we started going off and talking about other things because none of us were really interested in ruining our lives and writing a book at the time. <laughs> and and Brian clearly had this subroutine still running while he was eating eggs. And he said he put his hand down on the table, slapped the table, and said, you got to call it Forget the Alamo, at which point we all just slumped our shoulders because we realized that we had, uh, we, we had to write it. I mean, you don't let a good idea like that with a perfect title just just go unremarked upon. The books, we sold the idea two days later. It it sold tremendously fast, and it only took two and a half years of our lives to write. (laughs) Well, you
1: mentioned seventh grade history. And for those of us who grew up in Texas, you do remember it. I remember my teacher, the classroom. I remember what the book looked like. You know, it's a rite Mm. of passage. Mm. And my daughter is headed to the seventh grade This year. So, you know, how did you all see and have you seen the difference in how Texas history was taught to how it's being taught today?
2: Right. So uh, your boomers in Texas were raised on uh, Texas history movies. And it was this incredibly, shockingly, in retrospect, racist uh, comic strip that ran in the Dallas Morning News about Texas history. Uh, One example is they called Mexican-Americans beaners. I mean, it was straight up that uh native americans uh never were were inarticulate and monosyllabic uh it's just it's exactly what you think of um those comic book strips were collected into a book that was given to every single kid taking texas state history, t- state history. it was so the 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 way we have taught texas history growing up especially as surrounds the origin of the of the st- the republic the texas revolution has enforced this myth for a long time. It kind of started getting better though in the 70s, 80s, and 90s as we were re-examining a lot of other history. And then by the time Ann Richards and George W. Bush were in charge, it was a pretty progressive curriculum. Uh, I would have been taught had I had I grown up here. Um, it wouldn't have been required at all that they the defenders of the Alamo were taught as heroes because it was widely assumed that they were, but it wasn't a state-sponsored requirement. That has changed in the book as more uh, Hispanic leaders try to get Tejanos written into the history. There is a, a blowback of insisting that these were all good guys. And now, Texas, the only place in the curriculum that people are required to be taught as heroic. Is at the Alamo, not Sam Houston or anyone at San Jacinto, not the astronauts for crying out loud or anyone who beat Hitler in World War II, or anyone else in the entire history of America. It's only in the only place in the curriculum where the government requires teachers to teach kids that someone was heroic was everyone who died at the Alamo. And that's how – that's just one example of how politics has always gotten in the way of teaching the actual Texas history and not the myth.
0: Yeah, speaking of of actual Texas history, you know, my colleague Sean here, uh, I was was proud to, you know, surf his wave as he was Mm. helping lead the charge to get the uh, African-American history monument, uh, you know, finalized and on the Capitol grounds. But your book shines a lot on the fact that millions of black Texans today – are the descendants of black Americans and non-Americans, of course, uh, who were brought to Texas against their will. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is a story that's not currently told, uh, in the story of Texas independence. So mm-hmm. as we think about educating the rising generation of Texans, h- how do we make sure to tell the story of black Texans, you know, their, their shared sacrifice and our shared history?
2: Yeah. When we talk about the, the 300, you know, the original, uh, colonizer, uh, you know, people who came to, uh, the Austin Colony. Uh, we never talk about the people they brought. And at one time, it, in the run-up to the Texas Revolution, a very high percentage—I think a quarter of everyone who wasn't uh, a quarter of all immigrants, shall I say, or residents actually of Mexican Texas—were enslaved Africans uh, people. And and then that shot up uh, the percentage of people who were slaves in Texas shot up when we became a republic because for the ten years Texas was a republic. It was the most extreme slaveocracy in the entire world. There was no chance of of emancipation. If you were a free black man and you stepped foot into Texas, you were instantly enslaved because the Texas Constitution did not allow for a free black person. Uh, That... We could and then we get to the story, the big fight we're having about all history. Like, do we teach Texas history as bad or good, which I think is a reductionist. I think like all of our history, we don't have to teach that we are inherently sinful or that we were born pure. Um, I think we can teach our history as one long redemption story that, you know, to the extent that they knew they didn't do good back in the day and we're doing better now. And we keep trying to do better. And I think that's a history that includes us all. And it's a way to teach seventh graders about the bad part of our history without it coming across like we're trying to run Texas down.
1: This is Deconstructing Dallas. We're with Jason Stamford, co-author of Forget the Alamo. When we come back after the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about this fascinating book that he's uh, written with his co-authors. And so uh, hang with us through the break. Deconstructing Dallas, Sean Williams, Ryan Trimble. We'll be right back right after this.
0: Do you have a product or service you want to promote? Want to reach a slice of Dallas that needs to hear about you? Give us a shout! Here at Deconstructing Dallas, we love to promote our clients and the best local companies that are here in our fair city. So what are you waiting for? Email us today at deconstructingdallas@gmail.com at gmail.com and get your product on the interweb airwaves today.
1: Welcome back. Deconstructing Dallas. Ryan Trimble, Sean Williams. We are with Jason Stanford, co-author of Forget the Alamo. Um, I suggest you probably buy it at the at Amazon or in your local bookstores because it does not sound like the, the Dallas Public Library is going to be. The That's place right. For that right, right now. Um, Jason, I, I wanted to uh, just look at the Alamo again. You know, as you guys mentioned the actual story of the Alamo, what really happened is so much better than the myth that many of us grew up on. But I, I was interested, e- even for you, what what were some of the characters? What were some of the, the stories that were part of the Alamo narrative that you guys researched that stood
2: out to you? Yeah, well, two big things. It's all that happens after the Alamo. I mean, we got into the research and we realized real quickly that we weren't interested in writing a, a book that just debunked the line in the sand or, or something like that, or even the fact that they all fought to their death and no one was running. Um, that I mean, that's in there, but that's not really the point of the book. The point of the book became how the myth was created and how politics has been enforcing it all along. And we were, we were shocked to find out what happened at UT uh, where – they hired some suspect uh, South Carolinian history professor who didn't tow the, uh, the Southern line as faithfully as they wanted. And they actually had a big legislative hearing on how history was taught at UT and that the specific and explicit instructions from the legislature were that it had to adhere to the Southern story. And so how the Alamo has been caught up in, in the teaching of Texas history as a symbol of what, essentially was the pre-Confederacy. And we're fighting that now to the extent where, and, and it just, it's one of those things, you know, when like journalists were being, were investigating Trump and then he would just tweet it out. It's like, we were looking into this and all of a sudden the legislature passes, it amends their, their, their bills to protect Confederate monuments and adds, adds the cenotaph at the Alamo. Like, yes, that's a Confederate monument. They just did it there in the legislature. It was just shocking how, both obvious and current, that fight was that we are, we thought we were, it was going to be ancient history.
0: Yeah, speaking of history, I wanted to to jump back to the Tejano contribution at the Alamo. Mm. I thought that part was yeah, that part of the history is so rich, it's so interesting, and and you know just the history of Mexico itself is so interesting. But you know, you discuss how Mexican Americans feel going through seventh grade history, and and I was wondering what the reception has been for your book, Forget the Alamo. In the Latino community, dude.
2: LULAC's going to give us a, a proclamation or something. Both, <laughs> so, Yeah. One of their, one of their leaders from, from LULAC, uh, they had a, a fight at the cenotaph uh, with militia guys, right? And it was one of those things where they both showed up to yell at each other. And the militia guys had, had automatic, uh, semi-automatic rifles. And one of the LULAC guys held our book and they feel like for the first time, the establishment has heard them because they've been telling this story for a long time. Yeah, you know, it's not like the Hispanics in Texas didn't notice when you know Juan Seguin was was run out of San Antonio and when Southern Tejano ranchers were dispossessed of their land and turned into migrant workers. You know this. This is you know they. Uh, there are so many immigrants who come from Mexico over the last hundred years to Texas, and they know how the story's told in Mexico. Uh, there's a great scene that I couldn't get in the book where Juani Torres, who ran Ron Ron Nuremberg's campaign, she was a little girl in San Antonio and she saw that IMAX movie and her mom, who's a Mexican immigrant chaperoned and they're watching this movie and her mom's saying, Oh, that's not the way it happened. So, I mean, this has been largely a heroic Anglo narrative that has played with white audiences and has alienated Hispanic Texans for generations. And sometimes like there's a whole bunch of guys who we talked to said they went into the alamo on the field trip as a texan and they came out as a mexican and that texas history teaches kids who's the good guys and the bad guys largely along racial lines and it has for a long time recently of course we've got hispanic lawmakers trying to get the Tejano was written back into the history and but there isn't a big push on they, they want to be the ba- the good guys too. They there hasn't been a big political push to, to try to tell the whole history. And I'm encouraged by the by some shots of the house democrats who are up in DC on the plane. At least one state rep was uh, we were their airport reading. So maybe a new generation of of uh, of Texas pol- politicians are ready to tell the whole story. You know,
1: obviously, the daughters of the revolution have played a, an outside role in, in this story. And uh, one of my favorite stories revolves around the, the robbery between Adina De Sabala and Clara Driscoll. Uh, it was a very fascinating part of the book. What, what stood out to you about this particular story and this particular part of the history?
2: Man, we, well, first of all, if you ever have a chance to, to see to the maintenance and care of a historical site, don't put a lineage organization <laughs> in charge of it. That's putting, putting politically connected organizations, uh, ladies in charge of a historical site has not worked well for the Alamo. And it, it it was, it was really irresponsible for a long time, but it was a political decision. So what stood out about the Adina De Zavala versus Claire Driscoll fight over the Alamo is that is the fight we are still having today. Do we, Adina De Zavala was all about historical preservation. She wanted to preserve the long barrack. Uh, it would, she wanted to build back up the second floor, because uh, it had been turned into some grocery store by the time that she started looking at it. Clara Driscoll wanted the Alamo to be the centerpiece of a, a downtown garden park uh, along the lines of what she'd seen in Europe on her honeymoon. And, and she had the political connections and she had the money. Uh, I didn't know what a huge figure Clara Driscoll was to politics, though. Uh, at the centennial in 1930 uh, six, she got FDR to come down and see the Alamo and his comments about the Alamo went around the, the whole country and really introduced the Alamo as a national political uh, symbol. And, and when LBJ first ran for, for Congress, he bragged that he uh, was supported by Clara Driscoll. So her, uh, political influence really had a big effect on this country. And it started with the Alamo.
0: Well, well, speaking of influence, you know, I'm sure you have some, uh, so, some smaller uh podcasts that you're going to visit besides deconstructing dallas you know i i know this is a a huge moment for you to get on our show but uh, <laughs> but I, I guess what's what's next for you do you see yourself you know getting down advocating for change at the sboe writing another book you know standing outside the alamo with with a copy of your book uh, <laughs> you know, uh ne- next to the next to the you know the the rodeo
2: what what's next so one thing that shocked me is how we have now entered the story. We ended this book, uh, we, it, like the, the last scene of it is in March 2020. It includes lines from Trump's last uh, State of the Union. And now the politicians we were writing about in the book are, are fighting about us. And, you know, Dan, we talk about how Dan Patrick's support or opposition of the plan largely was dependent upon his uh his his primary politics when george p was thinking about running against him he hated the plan when george p turned to run against ken paxton he loved the plan so and now he hates our book and is trying to create a little panel at ut where they can a little show trial uh where they can uh debate us about the book just like they did a hundred years ago with ut when they were worried about how they were teaching it so I don't know that uh, I'm going to be done with the Alamo a, as quickly as I thought I would, because we're still, f- we're now part of the fight we were writing about and uh, there's going to be for the foreseeable future, speaking engagements and, and, and public fights about it. So um, I've got other writing things I want to do. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that, um, I screwed up and had an idea for a new book the other day that uh, okay. my editor thinks bears some investigation. So um at some point, maybe I'll have some weekends and, and vacation back to, to devote to a new book.
1: Well, for those of us uh, who may want to watch you as you're doing, uh, participating in all this and, and part of this discussion, how can our listeners uh, follow you? How can they find you? We'd love to, to know about ways to, to keep up with you and, and, and even keep in touch.
2: Oh, that's so nice. Okay, so uh, the easiest thing to do is to go to jasonstanford.substack.com. Find my Substack newsletter called The Experiment It's free, goes out every week, uh, and you'll know everything that's going on there. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm A S Stanford, and I'm sure I'm on Instagram somewhere posting vacation pictures, but that's about it.
0: Well, Jason, we certainly appreciate the time today and uh, look forward to uh, seeing it all continue to play out. So uh, thanks so much. Thank you.
2: I really enjoyed this.
0: All right. This is Deconstructing Dallas, Ryan Trimble, Sean Williams. We'll be right back. Deconstructing Dallas, Ryan Trimble and of course Sean Williams Sean, it's a great conversation with Jason, really appreciate his time Uh, really appreciate his comment that he made off air at the end of the podcast which was that this is one of the, I believe I'm going to quote it and say this is (laughs) quote one of the best produced podcasts he's
1: been on uh, you know exactly what he said. <laughs> Both of us, like, we're just kind of like, all right, see, yeah. we're not just patting each other on the back we now. May, yes, we got a yes. co-signer on you this. Can, you
0: cannot get out of an episode of deconstructing <laughs> Dallas without hearing us congratulate. All right, Allen Media meeting. <laughs> right, With us congratulating each other. Right, right. But uh, uh, yeah, congratulations to our to our uh, guests today, and, and uh, look forward to keeping track of of. What happens and, and how we remember and forget the Alamo?
1: Yes. Uh, congratulations to them and congratulations to the world champion, <laughs>
0: Milwaukee Bucks. That's right. And, and uh, it, we, we've been laughing about it for ever since uh, the Bucks you know, it took the championship on, on Tuesday night. Man, I mean, sorry, Phoenix. We definitely <laughs> – the Deconstructing Dallas
1: curse is alive and well. At least we – Said it at the time. It's not like That's we right. did not, you know, warn everybody. I, I when I listened to this to that last episode before posting it, and and then I said congratulations to the world champion <laughs> Milwaukee Bucks. I could not help but almost fall out of my chair laughing because I I, I was. Probably more in the Phoenix camp, but I mean, neither one of us really had a dog in the hunt. You, I, I your, buddy was, from Phoenix, yeah, your buddy I was Phoenix, yeah. Your buddy was the Phoenix in. guy. I kind of wanted Chris Paul to get a championship, but man, the longer it went, the more I, I was kind of happy for Giannis, Atanakufo, and and his family. You know, Bob Sturm, he got his, his childhood team one He was so excited and good yes. for Bob. But, you know, Giannis has taken a lot of crap uh, over the years from some of the other players in the league, and it was good to see him get, get his chip. Well, g-
0: game Game six was, uh, dare I say, with authority. When you go for 50 in an NBA Finals game, I think it was 50, 50 12, yeah. and five yeah. blocks. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. Pretty pretty uh legendary night. So uh, all you can do is is tip your cap to him and uh,
1: twenty seven I think Giannis is eight year veteran at twenty seven yes. years old and uh, one of three players to win a defensive player of the year an MVP and a Finals MVP. He's on that list with Hakeem Olajuwon and Michael Jordan. Amazing stuff. Well. Um,
0: I did check on my buddy in Phoenix. I sent him a note and told him I loved him. And, and all he sent back was a Michael Scott gif. And it said, I guess all I can do now is put on a brave face.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the good thing about that for Phoenix is they really came out of nowhere. Yeah. They went from the bottom to the top. Started from the bottom. Yeah, now and they were here. here and they they, were almost just didn't, they almost got across the threshold. And so, yes. you know. Booker is young, Aiden is super young, Chris yeah. Paul is not. And so, you know, it's they'll just right. have to kinda see it. They could well, I was about to general manage for I was like, they could use like a Drew Holiday probably <laughs> kinda come across on that side. But anyway, yeah. uh exciting. Got Cowboys coming up here pretty soon. So yes, uh, and we've gotta get, you know got to get Donnie back on.
0: Yeah, let's get Donnie, Do I saw a funny picture of Mike McCarthy, and it said, you know, is, is he doubling as a bouncer on the weekends <laughs> at night? So um, we will look forward to a fun-filled Cowboys season kicking off here soon. And Mustangs, we've got a lot of – there's a lot of college football landscape to, to deconstruct, I guess. Maybe it's deconstructing itself. I'm not really sure.
1: By the time we talk again, you know, we may have some sort of – Secou yes. Texas
0: tectonic plates shifting. Also, Sean.
1: speaking of you know the legislature getting involved, I've seen <laughs> that there are some state reps who are who are thinking that they should have a say in this. There are, there are. We'll see. We'll see what ESPN says about all that. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, this has been deconstructing Dallas, and this has been a great episode. We really want to thank Jason Stanford. Uh, do go out, take a look, uh, and see if you can find his book. We've. Got it um, here in the office And we've got the audiobook. So I'd say uh, you should do the same And check out Jason's newsletter as well um, You know, we want to thank Michael Zavala and MZ Studios We want to thank Samantha Matthews For all the help she gives us We want to thank Alan Media Jennifer Pasco, Mary Woodley Thanks for all the support And the rest of the team who does such an amazing job We want to thank you, the listener of Deconstructing Dallas And we want to ask you Push this episode. Tell your friends. This was awesome. Jason says it's one of the best podcast produced podcasts he's been on. Tell your friends that Jason said it. It's okay. Third party endorsements are what it's all about. Uh, and also remind them to give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. That would be great as well. You want to follow us on social media you can find my friend ryan trimble i make sure to get this right since i tagged you R Trimble 15 uh on twitter i am sean p williams s-h-a-w-n-p williams on twitter we're both on instagram as well got another great show coming back to you don't have a guest to pre-promote just yet but i'm sure it will be awesome this is deconstructing dallas sean williams ryan trimble adios